hello out there. Hope you're well. And welcome back to the Today Dreamer podcast. And welcome to this new moment that we're in together right now. I'm Michael, the host of the show. And here we explore what cultivating the practice of presence looks and feels like. Through the show, I hope to help you integrate your own process of doing and dreaming into just being to be able to participate more deeply in the coming together and the blossoming of the emergent world story. Today's episode is going to be around storytelling, stories and the knowledge that gets passed down from them. We're going to be talking about sacredness and we're going to be talking about rites of passage. My guest is Jiro Taylor. Let me tell you a little bit about him to begin with. So Jiro is a guide to those seeking a deep connection with their soul path. His work honors ancient earth wisdom traditions and flows into modern life through nature-based mentoring programs, ceremonies, and wilderness quests. With the intention to help individuals remember the truth of who they really are. This idea of remembering is actually how I came across Jiro's work to begin with. I was having a discussion on a previous podcast with Tim Adelin. If you haven't heard that one and you enjoy this one, then I'll definitely recommend checking that one out. And I brought up the idea of remembering or recalling or coming back into a deeper state of knowing. And he referenced Jiro's work. So... Yeah, I had a look online, did some digital digging and it just felt right to connect. I'll keep going with this bio. So Jiro is a founder of Shambhala Warrior, a one-year rite of passage and mentoring program for men on the path towards ecological consciousness and sacred leadership. He works privately as an advisor and guide to a tight group of change makers and pioneering CEOs. His gift is that of walking the edges and being a bridge between worlds, a synthesizer of diverse wisdom traditions. So yeah, that's Jiro. We're going to get into a beautiful conversation, or at least we had a beautiful conversation that I'm going to share with you today. So yeah, I hope that you've been enjoying the show. There has been a a bit of a pause, (laughs) a bit of a lengthy pause recently while I've kind of recalibrated things. I've just recorded 10 really beautiful conversations, including this one with another five to come in the coming weeks, which I'll be drip feeding out to everyone while I create many more, hopefully opportunities to have some beautiful unfolding explorations into presence and being and dreaming and doing. So if you're enjoying the show, and you want to take things a little bit further, maybe you want to connect on a deeper level by supporting, then uh, the number one way to do that, to support the transmission of these mindful media vibes out into the interconnected sphere of shared space, is to join the Today Dreamer tribe. You can do that by heading over to patreon.com forward slash Today Dreamer. Not only that will that help me keep this show alive, but it also supports the intention or what the show stands for. And there's some perks available as well. Some sweet little perks that I've set up for everyone that joins the tribe. So these perks range from 
exclusive podcasts and educational videos to guided meditations and there's also going to be monthly space shared space hangouts where we're going to hold space for one another and, and just explore what that real authentic intimacy in a group setting online looks like so yeah if you're interested in supporting the show patreon.com forward slash today dreamer there's other ways to support the show as well you can tell a friend about it and it always makes me feel really nice inside when i receive an email or a comment with a little bit of feedback about how the show may have helped you or some advice or something you could recommend adding in or changing or how you felt about you know any part of any episode i really appreciate that kind of stuff so yeah just putting it out there and let's see how this goes as i like to do before the start of every episode i'd like to invite you to join jiro and i to pause for a moment just to pause from whatever's happening in your life and to take a mindful breath usually do this by as slow as possible and as naturally as possible breathing in through the nose and into the belly deep into the belly pausing at the mo at the top at the crescendo at the peak of the mountain and just sitting in that space before gracefully exhaling and pausing at the bottom as well and when we drop into that space with one another we all gently take off into our conversation and see what insights and knowledge and wisdom we can uncover through storytelling and through Jiro's experience. So let's get into that now. So let's close our eyes and as slow as you possibly can, take a nice deep inhalation into your belly and when you reach the crescendo point just pause for a moment going to leave it to you to kind of see which direction you feel like going into i guess yeah beautiful yeah i'd say there's there's a couple of different kind of like story types um or narratives uh, to sort of discern between here and um one thing that i want to speak about firstly is is uh you know storytelling uh, mythology, poetry, um, this ancient way of transmitting information, and educating, and 
we think about it, it's actually the most ancient art form, storytelling. It's the most uh, ancient way to pass on codes and vital knowledge and rituals and sacred information from generation to generation to generation. Stories, songs, myths. I feel like that's one dimension of, of storytelling. And it's one that I'm passionate about because in our culture that we live in, there's this kind of obsession with uh, literalism and materialism and rationality. Um, and, you know, the last few hundred years, the science has, has become one of the dominating, um, I guess, frameworks of perceiving reality. And the way that I perceive it is that we all have within us this mythic intelligence. It's this capacity to actually understand a story on a level that's non-rational. Like if you look at, if you drop into story time and you've got some, it doesn't matter whether they're children or adults, you'll perceive a shift in body language and a shifting to the edge of the seat and a, and a leaning in and a captivation happens. And to me, this speaks to the actual immediate awakening of this mythic intelligence, which is also I could, soul intelligence. And so this mythic intelligence, it's not bound by linearity. Like, ration, like if we look at literalism and rationality, it's kind of like, it's like our CV, it's like our resume. It's like, tell me the story of your life. Okay, I'm going to write down where I lived, when I was born, what date I moved here, I went to this school, I did this degree, I went to this job, and it's like, here is my life in this chronological linear thing. But it doesn't, what doesn't it capture? It doesn't capture the processes, the moods, the grief, the synchronicities, the miracles, the chance encounters, the heroic quest, the, the shadow work, the like deaths and rebirths and all of the things that actually comprise of our existence as sentient beings. And so this story, what story does is it evokes and activates this mythic intelligence within us that understands metaphor. Uh, and it, it understands symbology and it can communicate and express and understand in nonlinear ways, which is, which can lead to all sorts of like, it's a, it's an awakening of, of, of consciousness to actually rehydrate and re-enliven this mythic intelligence that we have. And it helps us navigate life on a non-literal way, which really is short-selling ourselves. If we're, if we're living in this kind of like literal time-bound way, it's a really short-selling our, our, our chance to experience life as these multidimensional sentient beings with all sorts of intelligent systems within us. So that's one, one way in which I see storytelling is a beautiful way to capture that, to, 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 to rehydrate that potential within us. And I find it so renewing and regenerative um, and it, actually helps to for me to live through my soul through my heart rather than through just cognition and 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 through these sort of cerebral rational frameworks that many people seem to live their lives by and it allows me to live a more beautiful rich nourishing wise life because i'm able to absorb the wisdom from ancient stories i'm able to drop into the myth of my own life and to actually start to perceive my own life as this mythical unfolding with all these amazing characters um, 
and all these amazing experiences that are like stretching me and contorting me in ways that I can't even possibly give words to. But through story and through metaphor and through poetry, we're speaking the language of the heart and the soul and there's a possible way to capture this in a more accurate way. So yeah, I, I guess I see stories as a, as a way to actually like guide us to live in a, in a more beautiful and, and whole and, and, and soul-centric way. So that's one of the angles of storytelling. Is that what you were sort of alluding to? I wasn't alluding to that specifically, but that was, that was beautiful. Thank you for sharing. Um, but that's, yeah, let's go with that thread for a bit. That sounds like fun. Um, cool. But yet, I think just what comes to mind is this, like tuning into or allowing ourselves to kind of be washed over by story and this, mm. this sharing of stories. And it, it almost seems like you're pointing to this, looking at, it's like, a, it's like looking through the lens of story and being like doing that on a conscious level, like, inviting even evoking story into our lives into our very being through the way we we reflect on how we live and the way we move into moments and the way we just we are and i think there is definitely that thing that does happen people lean in and there's like a something that we're just so drawn to stories and you see you see it being manipulated in through marketing and advertising and you know, the inclusion of stories to, to really sell something or to connect with people because we just, it seems like we're kind of, we're, we're set up to kind of really flow with stories. Like that's like, that's the way we are. And yeah, the, the act of storytelling um, is something I think that's valuable to practice and craft um, and inviting story, evoking story into our lives by, you know, rituals and um the way in which we kind of move about our existence like it's it's a thing you know and, and i think it does make it things a lot richer like you mentioned on all those different levels because there's just like there's something about a good story that it's like it's all about the detail you know like like it's like those little details and really really pull you in and they really make you feel like you're there's almost like a i don't know a deepening of, of life, of vitality, a feeling of aliveness, I guess, that takes place through a rich story. Um, you, it makes me feel alive. That's what comes to mind for me anyways. That's because the story is actually a living entity. It's, it's got a consciousness of its own. If you take a story, imagine a story coming from the, the central deserts of Australia that's 100,000 years old and been passed down and passed down and refined. Mm and yeah. distilled yeah and it's been chosen to be passed down think how many stories pass by the wayside and don't get passed yeah. from grandmother to grandson yeah. or whatever yeah it's the ones, ones that really that connect yeah yeah and they contain wisdom and so the story meets the listener where the listener is at their life so say that you're say that we're hearing the same story you're moving through something with your wife and you're getting challenged by this that and the other I'm not married, I've moved to a new country and I'm meeting a different sort of threshold perhaps or a career threshold. The story, the same story can meet you in one place and challenge you or awaken you or activate something, energize you and, and seep into your consciousness, into your body and sit with you. And it might one day unfurl some gem that will 
enable you to perceive the way that you're showing up in your relationship with your wife in a completely new way. Meanwhile, I could be on the other side of the world. I've listened to the same storytellers tell the same story and something completely different is unfurling within my being. And so there's an aliveness to this. It's like, it's almost like this story is, is a living organism. It's, it's actually becomes like a, a, a million different organisms, depending on how many people are hearing and absorbing the story according to where they're, they're at in their life. So it's actually not a static piece of information, right? It's actually living and it's breathing and it's emergent and it changes. And then one day I'll tell that story. And the way that I tell that story will be inflected and infused with exactly the frontiers upon which I've been walking and the way that it landed in my body. That's, that's what's going to come into the medicine of me telling that story. And then it's going to be listened to and passed on again and again and again. It's such a beautiful, beautiful art form, isn't it? Such a profound way of passing down truth. That's yeah, that, that's what comes to mind for me, truth. You know, yeah. it's like this idea of like when you hear the truth or when you speak the truth, it's like nothing can get in the way because it's like a direct, it's some kind of a direct um, uh, connection that, that takes place. And it's like, it's a, it's a, it's a real thing. And that makes sense why the story, you know, lasts for generations and that wisdom and truth that's at, of the purest essence is passed down, you know, through different, um, again, through different vessels and um, it changes each time, you know, if it's embodied and, it, and it's passed out in a certain way and then it can be heard, like you mentioned, in different stages of one's journey or different from different angles and it still kind of hits home wherever you're at. It's not like, you know, the truth just fits in um, because it's the truth. It's something, yeah, there's something really nice and pure about that. For sure, mm. man. Mm. And we can all, we can all um, honor ourselves and each other by telling our own stories. This is, this is really what it comes down to. It's like the opportunity or the responsibility to actually tell our own stories. Um, it's such a beautiful practice. It's, um, something that I encourage the, the people that I work with to, to journey into because it requires us to, to drop into our truth, right? If we're going to share our story, we have to know our truth. We have to like really understand the, the mythic or mystical dimensions of how life has unfolded within us and then give it our best attempt to articulate that. And it's a living art form that we're expressing. And it's, it's, such, a, it's such a beautiful thing. I really feel passionate about us sharing our own stories in more regular and bold and courageous and colorful ways. And that's yeah, something that I'm passionate let's do about. more of that. That sounds good. <laughs> totally, man. I totally. feel like you'd be a good, good storyteller, Jiro. I reckon you'd tell an amazing story. <laughs> I've got a few stories up there, but I also love listening to stories, you know, and honing it's, this. It's great. Yeah. Owning the art of, of listening to story. Um, it's something that actually requires practice. You know, I've been, I've been listening to storytellers for, for, for quite a while and there's definitely been an increased ability to listen with the entirety of my being to a story being told and allowing it to sit in me. It's like, it's like, it's like you learn to listen, not just with your ears, but you learn to listen through every sensory organism. Part, Tell part me more about that. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, 
there's like listening through the head, I guess, through the ears. You know, of course, we're taking all sound in through the ears, but we're listening through the head. It's, it's like it's being channeled through our cognition, through the whirling cogs of cerebral activity. And, and then there's like listening through the body. And this is where there's an actual somatic response. There's a somatic experience that's unfurling. And as I'm listening to the story, like my body is, is, is being activated or challenged or I'm feeling feels or my heart is bursting or my throat is dry or I'm feeling a twitch in my left leg or my hips have gone tight or it's like, but there's actually like a, yeah, a practice of learning how to become embodied and to become somatically receptive um, to stories, which I'm again passionate about because I see a whole bunch of humans out there who are rather like like walking heads on some sort of biological apparatus to keep their computer bobbling six foot off the ground. And, and I'm seeing a, a reduction in the human capacity to hold paradox and to really, really appreciate or to be able to dance in the mystery of life without having to know all the bloody answers and solve all the problems and slice perfection up into a million pieces because they're actually operating as these cerebral one-dimensional robots rather than as like fully embodied multi-dimensional beings with all these different intelligence systems and therefore the ability to hold paradox and hold mystery and hold conflict and be both in rage and in compassion at the same time for example these are things that can't actually compute in cognition in the mind you know so yeah i find it a really powerful practice to to practice i'm talking about pure presence here just to make it more simple i'm talking about presence nothing more nothing less than just the ability to be fully here now because it's happening anyway it's happening regardless if i can just be here fully now then it's happening i'm taking in your face even even through zoom it's happening you know which is amazing but like your body language it's all flowing into me mine is into you the way that i inflect everything is you are experiencing you are listening with your whole body but there's a way of deepening that that i feel has been really pivotal on my path to learn how to just be more present and more aware and be able to soak in more information and therefore to become more aware and therefore to be more conscious and therefore to be more self-responsible and contributive to the flourishing of conscious life on earth. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm, I'm two things are coming to mind at the moment. One of them is this idea of like language being so much more than just the words that come out of our mouths and that there's like this, there's this felt sense of being around someone and, and communicating and um, supporting and loving and sharing and just being really, the essence of it is just kind of being around other people. There's something that's transmitted and, and co-created. Um, I like to think of it in the through the lens of like vibrations or vibes. And it's like these fields of, of vibes that are kind of invisible to see with the eyes or kind of hear with the ears, but you can really feel into them if you can drop into that state of being. And there's something beautiful that happens when you're in that state because you get to really... For me, it's like, it's like a feeling of love 
because you're, you're, you're kind of feeling into the other person and it's like this unique being that's like, that's got their un- an, a unique expression, but they're kind of connected to you and you're allowing that connection to take place. Um, you're kind of encouraging it when you're in that state of being, I feel. Yeah, th- what you speak to is what I would describe as true intimacy. Mm. Intimacy is often conflated as sexuality. But intimacy is what you just described there. Like receptivity and connection on a being-to-being level. You called it love. It's like, yeah, I would go, so, I would go a step further with love to, and to say that love is the... Love is the unstoppable emanation from our beings that happens to be regenerative and carries within it the urge for expansion and freedom of the other um, or of self. Um, but I feel like this intimacy, yeah, stories, stories breed intimacy, of course. You know, like if I'm telling you my stories, my deepest stories, and I'm telling them from a truthful place, from a raw, cracked open place, from my heart, and you're listening with your heart, and you're telling me your stories from your heart. And this is true intimacy. This is true connection. And this is, and this is truly what is yearned for by the human. And we think about conflicts in so many different ways, whether it's in couples who are facing divorce or teenage son rebelling against parent or indigenous tribe that is being colonized and pillaged by colonial conquestors whatever it is whatever dimension of like relating conflict that we're talking about here what we're experiencing is a loss or a lack of intimacy like a true capacity and willingness to actually like listen to and receive and share stories you know like really understand on on a really deep level and so yeah, just to circle back on stories and their potency, I feel like, yeah, it's, it's, it's unfurling within me as a, as, as a way to deepen intimacy in my personal relationships, but also as a way for humanity to understand how to be in relationship with each other in the earth and to cultivate greater peace and harmony and coherence by sharing and listening to each other's stories. Mm. and so basic and obvious but it seems rather overlooked yeah yeah i I just keep thinking of this idea of like the second thing i was going to mention was the the thought of like it ties in nicely with what you just said as well like this idea of like like a numbing or a desensitization or like a you know there's been instances where i've been in situations and i've heard almost like a robotic repetition of a story um, in different, you know, to different people in different times of the day or or even like I felt like a sense of repetition and desensitization through being, I guess, I was traveling for quite a while and I came back to Melbourne and being in a city kind of setting, an urban environment, it seems to be something that washes over us gradually back again, bringing us back into this state of like numbness 
It's just something I've noticed with, you know, it even comes down to the sounds that you hear, like mechanical noises, um, construction or cars going past. But I think it, it goes through everything like social media and different forms of distraction in our lives that are so prevalent and, and so self-perpetuating. And I feel like it seems as though stories crack through that. Stories have the ability, like we said, to be to produce some intimacy between people and beings and, and, and allow us to really, I don't know, wash away some of that, um, become a little bit more sensitive rather than a little bit less. Yeah. The, the, the sort of model that I sometimes think about when, I, when, I, when, you're, when I'm thinking about what you just spoke to um, is that what, like, what, is, what is sacred and, and what is not sacred? And you could use the word profane and the word sacred. Um, and there's this, there's something about, you know, there's a, there's a type of, there's a type of existence. You could say that it's all sacred. And of course I'd agree with you on that, on, on that level, like all life is sacred, but you can also perceive how living through the mind in a kind of robotic repetitive way and living in non-truth and just following the herd. And you could say that there's a kind of profanity to it in the sense that it's, it's, um, it's non-authentic. It's, it's, it's non-original. Um, and then obviously when we go to much of our culture, I'd say is profane. It's not sacred. It hasn't pierced through to the sacred. And, you know, and that's why we're living in a culture that's actually a death culture. That's actually contributing to the, to the, to the pretty rapid destruction of all life on earth. Right. Um, whereas there are cultures out there that have been regenerative and they have been sacred in the sense that they're earth honoring and they're regenerative of all life. Right. So like, this is what I'm speaking about. Like the sacred is like, it's honoring life. Whereas the profane is non honoring of life. And yeah, so stories help us break through, pierce through to the sacred, the sacred, this non-sacred world, the profane world is kind of like this linear, two-dimensional, kind of flat, drab, kind of process-driven, analytical, just journey from birth to death with some peaks and troughs along the way. Like the CV that I spoke about. And, and so, yeah, stories are like this time-honored way to bring the listener into a deeper knowing of the inherent interconnection of all life. So we can hear a story from 10,000 10, years ago and it has relevance in our life. Like, huh? That's because it's all connected. We can hear a story from 10,000 miles away and it's relevant to our life sitting here on this continent. Why? Because all is connected. Like, so these ancient stories are like calling us in. They're like songs, like calling us back into the mystery, calling us back into the sacred realms, calling us out of the delusion of profane life as a doing robotic human and calling us back into the sacredness of being the earth incarnate in, in, incarnated in bodily form being wild being free being part of the unfolding mystery and therefore having responsibility for it stories are definitely powerful for that brother yeah 
Yeah. That's what came up from your jam. Yeah. That's beautiful. What's coming up now is just this idea of like, of nature being that powerful as well. And, and like, just picturing like the, like the numbest, um, most desensitized individual on the planet and maybe popping that person or that being into nature and then like what would happen like would inevitably I can tell you what happens yeah do it. <laughs> yeah um you do, what do you mean you do it can i tell me some about something about that some more about that because like i i want to i mean we've been kind of Jamming back and forth has been really nice, but I'm curious. I'm so curious about your life and about um, what you do. Yeah, I've got like a um, a fractured picture that I'd like to kind of, and I'd love to hear a story from you if you if you want to say say it in story form, which I think is like it will come through anyways. But yeah, yeah, flows. Yeah, I mean. I mean, my, my life right now, I'm currently sitting in a van, which is my house, overlooking a beautiful valley in the Byron hinterland. That's so nice. Um, I'm, a, I'm a wild being that likes to express himself and, and explore this human experience. And, and I'm devoted to freedom in its, in its true essence. And so my path through life is to explore the root of freedom which takes me to the sacred grounds of truth truth without limitation without filter not truth distorted and actually like fear in disguise but actually truth so this is my life i explore it i inquire i take myself on quests what i was talking to you about before was when i said we do this work um for the last five years me and some colleagues have been running uh, wilderness rites of passage where we take human beings into wild places and we prepare them in interesting ways. There's a very practical thing around water and fire and snake risk and what to do if all these sorts of things might happen. Mm-hmm. But actually the preparation on the soul level is all done through poetry and storytelling. Interesting tie of this conversation. Yeah. So yeah. We, we prepare to drop them into wild nature to sit by themselves for four days and four nights with no food and just water and no pen and no paper and no book and no distraction of any kind. And we prepare them by infusing their being with ancient stories and poetry and by guiding them to begin to explore the poetics of their own imagination by writing poetry. And then they go off into the wilderness and they sit with nature. They sit as nature in spaces of silence that few humans in this culture will ever experience this is good <laughs> and time just time just like dilates and distorts and stretches mm. out and you're left with nothing but mm. what's within you and the mirror of great nature just reflecting back at you and i've taken people who i've taken ceos of companies I've taken people who have lived in suburbs and heavily domesticated lives and live in skyscrapers, work in skyscrapers, have never, I've had clients who have never put their feet on the grass and like throw a little fit if a mosquito lands on them. And then I've dropped them into nature, into these experiences. And I've had the true blessing of witnessing 
the type of transformation in a human being that is, is just miraculous. Of like, we send them off to the beat of a drum, fire burning when they're off to do their solo. <laughs> and it's very mystical. And these guys are all in fear. They're like, what, what, am I, what am I about to do? What am I doing? This is crazy. And they go off and we say goodbye. And then four days later, at dawn, the fire's burning, the drum's beating, and they, and they come back from their places. So I get to witness in four days a human being in front of me pre-questing and post-questing. And the, it's, it brings me to tears in that experience of beating the drum and watching them come forth because I've, I'm witnessing a human being that has faced so much non-truth and faced all of the stories of their mind and all of the projections and they've looked at all of the trauma because this is just what happens when we're not distracted by netflix and iphones and all sorts of things we just sit in empty space and these human beings have done so much processing and so much just being held by nature just being held by nature and just so much remembering of the wild essence that they truly are beneath the web and the matrix of belief systems and thoughts and ideas and labels and titles and all these sorts of things. Nature just washes that shit off. Nature, silence, solitude, just washes that off. You know, it might take a few quests for it to be fully washed. It might take some journeys with some plants. It might take some Vipassanas. It might take just more deep process work or whatever it is that's your pathway. But essentially it's this accelerated process that nature facilitates of all the artificialness and delusion and fabrication that our egoic minds have conjured up to create this false sense of reality it just gets washed away in the river and what's left behind is truth essence beingness isness soul and it's so i get to see these human beings walking from their quest sites and it's like witnessing a human that's just been the doula of his own rebirth and there's this radiance this shy, this sometimes there's just like physical depletion exhaustion but you can see in the eyes and you're like holy fuck you've just like touched the infinite yeah so, yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah that's beautiful that is so beautiful um <laughs> um <laughs> what about you man have you spent much time in wild places yeah i've, I've spent uh quite some time like during the travels especially and I think I had this really profound experience where I was like a month in the jungles of Costa Rica and I felt like that, I think like there's something about long-term immersion that is just like really cleansing on a really deep level. I think, I mean, I'm really curious about what you do with these guys because it sounds amazing and it sounds like the transformation is a, is a, it sounds beautiful, like it really does. <laughs> it's so nice it's such a nice thing that you just expressed and just want to like yeah acknowledge that i guess um, yeah thank you so yeah yeah so i've spent a bit of time in nature um and i've really called to the jungles recently um, i feel as though i've yeah been to a different a lot of different places had a lot of different experiences and all of them have been special and unique in their own right and in different times i've kind of felt uh the energy of different types of nature or or shades of nature calling and now i'm, I'm really for some reason called to like back to the jungle and i think because it was such a powerful experience in costa rica that 
I feel as though the jungle is calling me in a sense. Um, and it's, but I'm living in an urban environment at the moment. So I'm in like in the suburbs in Melbourne. And it's like, <laughs> it's interesting because I'm still relating to nature in a sense. Like I'm looking around and looking at the leaves of trees and as I'm driving or, you know, I've got an abundance of plants around me and um, a little garden going and things like that. And it seems to be almost more of a, it's needing to be more of a, like a organized thing now. It's like, I need to, I've started booking and planning time in nature ahead and I just kind of book it in. So I'm, I'm doing it regularly. Um, I've got a trip coming up in two weeks with my, or in one week now with my little son and we're going into some nature for a couple of days together, which I'm really looking forward to. Um, it's like a, there's like a beautiful spot with some walnut trees and um, there's like a beautiful river th flowing through and I want to kind of take him into the water and have him kind of get his own, you know, natural downloads from being in, in that space and kind of, yeah, be thinking about him a, a lot recently and about kind of him being this kind of extended part of me into the fabric of existence and like how I want to give him and share as much as I can with him and have him connect on to his wild side as well. Um, yeah. I, I kind of, yeah, I don't know. I want to hear more about these experiences though. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, I'm happy to share. It's a big part of my work and yeah, just to sort of backtrack, it might be useful just to share some story in terms of how I came to this and yeah, let's um, do that. That's a good idea. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. So yeah, it's been a long winding road to, to get to this place of realizing the power of nature, the power of story, the power of like just raw experiences that help us perceive the truth of what we really are. I was born into a, my mother's a, like a fanatical Jehovah's witness. So she's, um, which is like a, it's very culty um, and very brainwashing. Um, so from the ages of zero to 15, I basically had my brain pickled by religious dogma and um at the age of 15 <coughs> i broke out and it was like i guess looking back it was my first rite of passage i self-initiated myself into a, a new level of truth and freedom which required a lot of courage you know i had to my mother as far as my mother was concerned i was choosing death you know that's her religious belief you're either in us in with us and you're going to survive armageddon and live in paradise on earth this is their belief or you're going to die in Armageddon. And I was basically saying to my mom, I don't believe in your shit. And she's saying, you're going to die in Armageddon. And, and she's grieving. That sounds that. intense. That sounds intense. And, intense. It, and it sounds like, it sounds like you would have been brought up in that environment and with that vibe from different angles. And yeah, like, I'm just picturing the journey of getting to that point of like saying that to your mother in that position, totally. in that moment, totally. like Especially that is a big part of me believe that I'm going to die in Armageddon because that's what I've been pickled with. Yeah. That's the belief system I've been pickled yeah. with. So I'm like, fuck, I might actually die in Armageddon. She might be Miss right. Cord <laughs> yeah, there's a possibility. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like, I broke out of that and the Jehovah's Witnesses, they, they call their religion the truth. That's this sort of inner language for religion, shorthand. It's like, oh, is he in the truth? Are you in the truth? So they sort of colonize this language that they take ownership of this word. And this word, this, the essence of, it, of this word is 
I've had to like reclaim it, Relearn clean it, it all yeah. off. Yeah. yeah. And the irony is, is that having been spending the first 15 years of my life, like kind of like forced into this mold of very rigid, dogmatic, ideological, brainwashed thinking, I've then spent the rest of my life breaking free. It's been a from blessing in disguise, huh? It's been an absolute blessing. It's been an absolute blessing. And I've just gone completely radically the other way. And it's, um, <laughs> radically. And so at the yeah. age of 15, I was reading Nietzsche and, and Watts and Krishnamurti. And at 15? Yeah. Because I was looking for truth. You know? Yeah. I was like, yeah. these guys these guys claimed a monopoly on truth and I don't buy that. So I, my soul guided me or whatever. Maybe it was a friend, I can't remember, but I was reading Alan Watts and, and studying Zen Buddhism and Taoism. And I found myself living in Japan for a couple of years, going deeper into, into that, those Zen Buddhist pathways and, and, re- and learning how to sit in meditation for hours at a time. And, and really. Was it like temples and stuff or. Yeah. So I was, I had a temple at the end of the road. I'd, I'd go to, I wasn't a monk or anything. I'd Which part go. of Japan were you in? <clears throat> um, South Japan. Kagoshima, ah, nice. it's called. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really, it's a, it's rural Japan. Mm. So I became fascinated by Eastern philosophy and different ways of perceiving self, the universe, um, and that was really, really fundamental in sort of like deprogramming my mind from this, from, from first of all the religious dogma. Um, but there was still some programming in me, lots of programming in me. There still is. Um, so after that experience in Japan, I found myself following this kind of like pre-programmed pathway that me and my friends found themselves on, which took me to the corporate world, like university, corporate world, work in a city. Consciously or unconsciously or both probably? I had this, I remember this choice point and it was like, oh, I could actually be a monk. Like I get this, I, I get this pursuit of, um, of truth. I, I understand, I value this, I, I understand what these guys are doing. It's not, it's not just escapism, it might be for some, but I can see the, the, I can see the beauty in a life yeah. devoted to space and truth. Um, so there was an actual process where I was like, oh, I could go that way. And then there was this other thing in me, which was like, I actually, I don't believe in this cultural myth that success is a million dollars and a Ferrari and a yacht and a hot wife and a property portfolio. I don't buy it. But I'm, I'm gonna give it a go anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's like um, it's like you're kind of almost going against yourself, though, you know. Oh. And you and you know you're doing it. You know what I mean? I, I know the yeah. feeling well. Yeah. And yeah. then it's it's almost like a, and it's interesting because you've had this, you've had this experience with the Eastern philosophy, and you're moving into this space of like, um, yeah, this opposite direction. So it seems consciously you're moving into that. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I chose to, like, the way that it worked out is that I ended up being, like, 25 years old, earning a million dollars a year, or one and a half million dollars a year as a headhunter um, in the finance industry, finding the most, the best, most talented, most highly paid traders that would be working for hedge funds and banks, and I would find them, I would... um, get to know them i'd bond with them i'd persuade them i'd manipulate them i'd use all sorts of psychological tactics and i'd figure out all sorts of things to eventually it might lead to me moving them to my client in which case an exorbitant fee was paid to me um for this for my role in in this in this transfer of talent from one place to another 
very much like a parasite uh, on a on a on a on a on a rhinoceros you know this rhinoceros being the financial systems and i was just playing this little role but getting paid ridiculously good money for it but i was surrounded by some of the most highly paid um yet fearful egotistical human beings on the planet that has an effect Lawyers on you bankers. right there's this whole totally. um good people effect or the opposite going on where there's like this you know the vibes are transmitting and you're connecting and 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 there's a there's a, a again a self-perpetuating kind of system goes on when you hang out with anyone so that would have had a deep effect on you i'm sure oh massive the, the corporate world as i experienced it maybe it's changed now who knows a little bit i think but the corporate world I think it's is always changing but it, there's always yeah. something there's always that thing about it yeah, yeah. what were we going to say the way, the way i experienced it was that it's 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 a total fear culture right fear of not having Fear of not climbing the ladder, fear of not earning what he earns, fear of not being able to keep up, fear of failing, fear of getting to the end of your career and you've got no money, fear of letting people down, fear of being mocked, fear of being shamed, fear of not making your father or your mother proud. It's like these are the things that are like fueling people. I never thought about it like that. That's like, that's, that makes a lot of sense. Well, yeah. why else would you sacrifice your yeah. freedom yeah, yeah. and become a slave to a corporation and sell the best years of your life where you could be exploring mountains and temples and and playing with your children whilst they're actually awake in the middle of the day instead of climbing up the stairs to go to some dingy office that's actually like sky prison where you're going to sell your time yeah. for some promise of security in the future why you, else would you, you know, do it unless you know, you're fucking terrified of what happens <laughs> if you don't do it you know what man um there's this there's this idea that I came across recently. I had had a chat with this 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 guy that we were talking about choice, and it was really synchronistic how he came into my life because I had this. It was like a vaporizer box that I'd bought years ago, and on the back of the box it had it said something like, you know, love is always greater than fear. You know, always make choices from a place of love over fear. And I read that, and it was again another one of these kind of direct lines into truth. On a, on a little box like on a product and I was like shocked by that and synchronistically like this guy ended up coming back into my life recently and I got in touch and we had a conversation but it comes back to this idea of like it makes sense to, to make a decision or a choice out of love and and it makes sense to move away from the ones from fear and when once you start embodying that and doing that in your life I think things start blossoming in unexpected ways but it's often difficult to get that ball rolling and it's it's even more difficult because even as you just explained all that I ne i've never looked at it like that and i've been in that space i've never looked at it through that lens of oh yeah I mean, it makes total sense you're scared of everything and and it's a and again that leads you to decisions that continue that that cycle how did you break through that cycle what was the point what was that moment like and i don't know if you could maybe go into that a little bit because it seems like you've made it seems like maybe it was one decision that came from love. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse my cough. But, um, yeah, man, it was... Um, <clears throat> yeah, well, what came up for me when you're just speaking there is that is that when we are actually mistaking ourselves for, for our personalities, which is what most people are doing, by the way, um, most people think they are this personhood, you know, that works at this bank and goes to jujitsu on Thursday night and likes oranges and supports this sports team <clears throat> and believes this and doesn't believe that. And um, most people 
believe that they are this projection. This is really key. I thought I was this projection for a while, but I always had that Eastern wisdom in me. But for a time, I forgot that and became this projection. So I became this ego. Like I thought I was this ego. And so I developed these egoic tendencies and became quite narcissistic and like, I loved validation and pats on the back and Jerry, you're fucking great at this and you're good at this. And, and I became a little bit of an asshole. Like I became like, cause I was really good at my job and I was high flying and I was making more money than anyone else. And I was just this young punk who's thought that he was the boss and king of the world. And, and it was just like, but the whole time this wiser part of me knew that this was just fake. This was just like artifice. This was illusion. This is, I was just projecting, pretending to be this person, right? The whole time I knew that. And so this gradual sense of like incongruency began gnawing at me um, on a daily basis. And I'd have these insomniac, like sleepless nights, just lying awake in my skyscraper, my deluxe apartment, just like knowing that there was this selling out, this fakeness happening. This wasn't it. I was pretending to be someone. And it gnawed away at me and gnawed away at me until it reached a, a critical point of where it sort of like ruptured. And it, it, it's not a nice feeling. I don't know if you have experience, but pretending to be someone and carrying the weight of like this fake like personhood. And um, what it resulted in me was this, I had basically had like a quarter life breakdown type experience. I was just like, I, I just didn't want to carry it anymore. I had, I remember this one morning of, getting ready to shave, to go to work, to go to my office for the day, like I do every day. And I was just like, is this oh, like, what am I doing? And I remember like looking in the mirror and like having this, this real amazing experience of looking at myself and seeing like my soul or my spirit or my essence or my true self kind of like trapped within this like cage of personhood. And I was like, shit, that's me. And that's not me. And it was a very, very evocative, um, transcendent experience that I had. And I began to have more and more of those experiences of just this like remembrance of what I really am, the essence, the wild creature that I really am in, beneath the suit and beneath the words and beneath everything, beneath what other people thought about me and what I projected to the world beneath that. There's like this essence, this original essence of what I am. I call it my being, right? So it began to just like shine through. And as I began to connect with that, it just became inevitable. I just made rapid decisions and I was gone from that world. And I just made a final cut and I was like, I'm gone. And the people that, you know, the company that I was working for, they couldn't believe what I was talking about. They're like, what do you mean? They just thought I was going to a competitor and they tried to offer me more money and they try to like just keep me and guilt trip me. And, but I was like, no, 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 I'm, I'm going, I'm, I'm going to live through the core of my being. And so I went, so I moved to Bali and um, I just embarked on a, on a radical spiritual acceleration journey, self-guided by myself. And, and I meditated for two to three hours a day. I went surfing, I practiced yoga and I read books on philosophy and consciousness and neuroscience and psychology and shamanism and um, deep ecology. And I just like, like infused myself with wisdom and was living it as well, was living it, was exploring it, was, and I was decolonizing myself of all of these constructs of success that fed my personhood. So all these beliefs, for example, money will make you happy or money will give you security, or if you make your dad proud, then you'll be happier because your dad's proud. And I just went to the root of all of these beliefs, all of these stories, if you will, 
and I just began dismantling them one by one by one. Like, is it? Can you talk to me a myself, bit more about that process? Yeah, it's um, it's refined over the years. Back in those days, the process was more like um, journal work, like sitting in the surf or sitting in empty space and just being like, "Why did I do that? Why why did I just spend seven years in misery?" making lots of money in the corporate world. I'm like, okay, so I did it because, and I just list a whole load of reasons. For me, it was, you know, I wanted the validation from my friend. I wanted to be perceived as successful. I wanted to make my father proud. I want to feel safe and secure. You know, I want to buy, be able to buy whatever I want. I, w- I want to be a successful human being. There are all these things. And I just went to the core of all of them. And I was like, what's, what's the story here? So if I wanted to make, for example, I want to make my dad proud. I'm like, the story is like, if I succeed in the corporate world, then my dad will be proud. If my dad is proud, then I'll be happier. And it's like, I just, if you shine awareness on, on these stories, and if you, what I mean by shining awareness on these stories, I mean like giving space to them to like, look at them. The story like that my dad will be, that when my dad's proud, life will be better. It's like, it's not true. It's just fundamentally untruth. There's not truth there. My dad just wants me to be expressed and happy. That's the truth. And if I'm living in a way that's not leading to that, then that's proving that story is false. So just one by one by one, I just go to the core of these stories, ask myself, are they true? Is it really true? Could you go in? Could you tell me a little bit more about this looking at aspect of it? This kind of pulling it up and and sitting with it and, and that. Like, what do you, like, yeah, what happens there and, and what have you refined that process to? Mm. So, so this is a, this is, this is like self-inquiry 101 and um, it helps. And then this practice builds self-intelligence and self-intelligence increases your consciousness, increases your ability to understand what's, what's really going on, why you're doing the things that you're doing, <laughs> right? <laughs> self-intelligence is where it's at. Um, so to develop self-intelligence, you've got to learn how to self-inquire and self-inquire is basically the art of asking a question with your mind and letting something else reply. So asking a question with your mind, like, why did I do this? And then sitting in a silent space in a meditative space and allowing the answer to emerge from the core of your being. So it's not like mind having a conversation with mind. It's like mind having asking a question and heart answers it you know mm. this is my this is the way that i self-inquire and that, that might sound a little bit philosophical and vague so i'll try and like give it some more body um it's a simple process of me asking questions of myself right for example today i've been asking myself the question i've been going through a process myself and i've been feeling some pain and some suffering and, and, and an inquiry that i ask myself today is who is in suffering? Who is in suffering? And so I sat with this question and I went into meditation and mm. I took the question to my meditation and I, I returned in my meditation. I returned to the essence that I truly am beneath the personality. I returned to, to, to my true self and in my true self, there was no suffering, no suffering. There's completeness and wholeness. And so the answer to the question emerged. It's like nothing is suffering. The suffering is just a story. The suffering is just a story. It's just created by story because I'm not actually suffering. The suffering is just created by a story 
of suffering that something hasn't met an expectation. So the way that our, this is an interesting thing that I've been exploring. So the ego, I've done, it's, it's really good to get to know how your, your ego mind, I, I use the words personality and ego mind kind of interchangeably, right? Um, but this, this ego mind, it, 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 can only, it only operates in the realms of past and future. It, by, it skips over present. And this is why presence nice is the practice. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it, it skips over present, present moment reality. Like the, the ego mind cannot actually exist in the light of the present moment. That's the truth. Mm. So what happens is that a story is created in the past. So say that you say that Johnny, the school bully, stole your sandwiches when you're at, at school at seven years old. So you've got a assault or a, or a, an offense that's happened, and there's and so that there's a genesis of a story there. It's like it might be I'm not deserving of eating food, or it might be all people called Johnny are dickheads, or whatever it is. There's something there that happens, right? So a past event. What happens now? Because the ego can't actually deal in the present moment, it just like projects into the future. So it takes this past event and it like projects like a projector screen and creates this this future reality. This future reality might be like me never eating my sandwiches, or me starving, or or me getting like bullied by Johnny. But if I don't give him my sandwiches, or whatever it is, and this is of course is is happening like like all the time. And with every single event that happens in our life, the, the ego is doing this. The ego is creating a story and a projection. So what ends up happening is that we have these original versions of stories. It might, in, in the actual experience of the story, Johnny's a bad person and he's mean and he's hurt me and I'm now the victim. It might, it might just happen that if I were to be able to look at this event from a more holistic viewpoint that Johnny's actually starving or Johnny has mistake, mistaken his lunch for my lunch or Johnny's got some sort of mental disorder or Johnny just really needs to eat my sandwiches to help him today whatever it is but I don't know that back then so instead I've created this story of like bad right and this story of bad which has, has projected onto the future to create a potential scenario of badness right this happens all the time all the time Right. To give you another example, um, maybe you're getting to know a, a woman for the first time and she's um, and you're relating together and she's like speaking to her ex-boyfriend over there and your mind might cr create this. You got this story in your head. Oh, she's speaking to her ex-boyfriend and they look like they're flirting and oh, this is bad. This is threat. So the, so the ego creates this projection of this story of the worst case scenario. And it might be them rolling together in bed. It might be them creating happy families, but essentially it's some sort of story, some sort of projection that challenges your core ideas of what makes you safe and secure in life, right? It just challenges all of them. So you end up in suffering. You end up suffering. So the ego puts you into suffering because now you've taken something that was potentially really innocuous and neutral, right? That event, original event. And you've created a non-neutral, very charged potential reality that is completely delusion-based. It's completely, it's got no grounding in reality. It's completely non-truth. It's false, right? We take it to be true. That's what fuels all jealousy, by the way. 
this taking it to be true that this might happen all jealousy is just that and so all of a sudden we're trapped and we're living in suffering and we have a fear of this thing happening and so my process has been to get to the source of these things and be like well is is the original story true because yeah, you're, pre- you're, you're kind of making it true by believing it in a sense. Totally. And that's totally. moving in through your system into every one of your motor functions. And then you're, you're creating, you're moving into that. So it's like, yeah, so keep, sorry, keep going with yeah. what you were saying, that you're checking if it's true, right? Yeah. So the, my basic process is to look at what's unfolded and notice the story that's been created by my mind. For example, my partner speaking to her ex-boyfriend is threatening to me and she's, whatever it is, she, mm. she's going to sleep with him or blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then I, I'm like, okay, I look at that and I, and I ask myself in a very centered, neutral place. So I come out of reactivity. I come out of my mind. I come into yeah. my body. This is very key because when you're in that reactive state, it's like, you're just operating from such a judgmental limited band of consciousness yeah that everything's going to be a threat when you're activated in your ego but when you come into a neutral place of you're unactivated you're present you can perceive reality more clearly sounds like, like a place of curiosity sounds like a spot where yeah. you're like okay you're, it's exactly. like it sounds like there's even like this there's, there's something that happens where it's like the moving from into that from the reaction into the curiosity there's something about that that I think. The curiosity puts you into the mystery, into the wonder, into the infiniteness. Yeah. That's what it is. Mm. The curiosity puts you into the truth of that it's a mystery, that it's unknowable, that it's unknown, that it hasn't yet unfolded. That's what curiosity brings you, does. Brings you back where you are, really. Brings you totally. back into, into the present. Exactly. Yeah. Out of delusion. That's right. So it is a, it is, curiosity is a powerful portal to truth. And that's what self-inquiry is fueled by. Otherwise, you wouldn't inquire because you wouldn't be curious. Yeah. It's like definitely the energy of curiosity. Then you look at the future projection and you're like, look at what my ego's done. Yeah. Like eventually you can get to the stage of having a good old giggle, good old laugh about it. And this is what me and my friends and the people that I work with love doing. We love bringing the projections that are limited, scarcity-based, fear-born minds have put onto the canvas of the future. And as a process of liberation and just bloody good humor, yeah. me and my friends and my lovers <laughs> and people that I'm with like to like unearth this stuff. Yeah. It's a great practice. Well, it's like, yeah. it allows you to be vulnerable as well. It allows you to kind of totally. just, you know, share these things that, you know, we've all got a different remix of within us and that are expressed in different like scenarios, but it's within all of us and it's like, there's nothing to be kind of ashamed of. It's nice being vulnerable and, you know, with others. And yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> I'm sure, um, I'm sure there'd be some funny stories in there. <laughs> yeah, of course, and, it's like moments of sharing, you know, as well. Totally, totally, yeah. man. So that's, you know, that I can go deeper into that in, in another time. And, and for, you know, people that work with me, it, it goes, it goes a lot deeper in, in exploring the somatics and exploring how stories can, um, or experiences can manifest as trauma and learning how to honor and celebrate all that's happened and to release somatically through breath work, vibration, sound, movement, all sorts of different ways. But that's, you know, that's the, the basics of self-inquiry are what I just described. And so I use that process 
to uncage myself from this very limited life that I was living where I was making a lot of money, but I was feeling very unfulfilled and very dead. And so I freed myself and How are you feeling I've now? just been wonderful, free and expressed and liberated. And the last 10 years since I left the corporate world has just been this unfolding mythic reality of me just creating a beautiful future and attracting in all the people and opportunities that my soul desires to help me expand and contribute. Yeah. And what's been going on over the last 10 years? Like it's a big question, but like what happened after that point? I want to hear the rest of it. Like it feels like you're okay, partway cool. through. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So I, I left the corporate world, Hong Kong, moved to Bali two years there, just like really defragged and restored and healed myself and just came to the center. Yeah. And from that point I began to really, really, really awaken, like awaken to the truth of, of what I really am. And it's, um, I didn't get to, I'm not an awakened being. I'm still in suffering a lot of the time and I'm still in delusion a lot of the time. And my ego like hoodwinks me all the time. And, and I'm still processing and going through it all, all the time. It's a, and I, and it's just, the thing is, is that I'm consciously doing it. I'm consciously aware of what's happening at the moment. So basically I, I began, um, after those times in Bali, I, I had such profound breakthroughs on, on in my own life and began to realize like all the ways in which I had been um, brainwashed and domesticated and infused with all these belief systems that were not originally mine. And so as, as I began to sort of like cleanse myself of all of this, my natural essence began to emanate itself. And naturally I became like a playful, inquisitive, joyful, loving human being. And so naturally I began to attract other people like that into my field. And naturally I began to uh, want to express myself in greater ways because it's just natural because that's just what our beings want to do when they don't have this condom on that we call our personalities. They just want to like express themselves. Um, that's a weird analogy, um, weird metaphor, weird image. Um, but you get what I mean. So that's what I began to do. And, and I just began to see life as a great dance and I began to, share my medicine with people and, and eventually i started this company called the flow state collective and and this is when stuff began to accelerate in an awesome way so i had a platform a podcast a, a a methodology a way of working with people to help them cut to the core of truth and presence and what was the process of developing that method methodology like in those early days yeah in those early days i was obsessed with this thing called flow flow states um you might have come across it in your research or you know, I'm sure all of us have experienced flow. But in those early days, I was as a surfer and a snowboarder and a psychonaut, someone that enjoyed working with psychedelics and plant medicines and going into trance states and altered states of consciousness, uh, whether that's in surfing or whether that's on a dance floor, or whether that's in a shamanic ceremony, I was very inclined to explore consciousness in those ways. So uh, when I started reading about the science of flow states, which is basically the science of it is rooted in psychology. This psychologist called Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi did, did the original research on it. It's all very kind of like academic, um, but basically they realized that human beings were not happy when they had X, Y, and Z, but they were actually happy when they were immersed in action activity. And they were extra happy when they were immersed in activity that had meaning to them. Mm. Um, and so many, many thick books have been written to describe that process and what happens in the brain what happens in the body when a human enters into a state of flow. So I became obsessed with all of that because I 
just come from the corporate world and I saw that all of these highly domesticated, really intelligent, beautiful beings who were trapped in skyscrapers and suits, um, I felt like, I felt an urge to help them break free. Mm. And I knew that they, from, from my experience with conversations with so many of them, I knew that they wanted the language of rationality and science to get there. Yeah. So I saw flow states as a Trojan horse. <clears throat> this language was so clear in neuroscientific. I saw it as a Trojan horse to help a human being actually be like, okay, I can absorb that. You can keep your chakra shit and your fucking bells and whistles and crystal. Very balls, interesting. You say that yep. flow states I'm interested in. Yeah. I, I can absorb that. I can, I can talk about transient hypofrontality and, and alpha brain waves and so forth. So I was like, all right. I saw flow states as like spiritual experience in science clothing. You know, it's yeah. no different. <laughs> a human being and an, a Red Bull sponsored athlete who's like entered a state of flow. He's just in the same state of consciousness as a, as a monk 2000 years ago or a, or a mystic sitting, sitting under a tree. There's a, it's the correlation between sort of meditative transcendent states and flow states are massive. In other words, the commonality is that when you're in a flow state or a meditative state, the parts of your brain, in which are housed your sense of self, i.e. your ego, and your sense of linear time, which creates that linearity, that sort of like um, um, logic-based kind of non-mythical reality that I spoke yeah. to before. Yeah. They're all in the same part of the brain, right? And that part of the brain basically turns off or partially turns off, mm. down-regulates. When I read this, it was just like the biggest penny drop ever. I was like, oh my God, it's like, you got, you got these, you know, these, these skiers and snowboarders and people talking about flow states and you got these entrepreneurs trying to hack the flow state and getting into microdosing and doing Kanban or like time boxing yeah, or all these yeah. different ways of trying to Tools. like get into it. Yeah. But actually there's really ancient modalities for this, like the shaman's drum, or, you know, yeah. or like, yeah. which is the indigenous word for like deep listening like mm. lis listening to nature listening to the birds or mm. vision questing sitting in or like working with sacred sacraments like plant medicines mm. like mm. there's so many different ways um and so i be i became obsessed with that nexus of science and spiritual pathways and that was my that is my playing ground and so i began to run these experiences where we'd go snowboarding in japan or surfing in the maldives and i'd sell out these retreats and get people coming along and we'd experience flow and we'd approach it through the scientific frameworks like okay we need to increase the challenge level for your skill level we need to work on focus we need to create this and that we began to tweak it on that kind of level which suited their kind of like their, their, their cerebral consciousness but at the same time there was an infusing of deeper spiritual wisdom by holding space for these human beings to become really present in the moment and to be able to be vulnerable and to just just take off the armor that obscured the divinity and the purity of their essence and so we began to have these sort of this yin yang of like science and spirit which eventually just fuses into oneness right and so that was the genesis of of my work with flow state and from that i began to get um like people requesting that i work with them and to, to help them transcend um limitation and some sometimes it was people saying hey i'm a i'm a ceo of a company and i and i need help like being a being a higher performer because the challenge level has just increased so much it's like all right 
So I've worked with CEOs of billion dollar companies for the last five or six years. And yeah, sure, I've helped them become really high performing CEOs. I think some of the highest performing CEOs on the planet, but it's not through teaching them how to hack the flow state. It's by actually teaching them how to come back home to what they really are and to live and express and show up and lead from that place. Yeah. So that's been my work. And then after a while of coaching and mentoring and developing these frameworks, I, I heard the call to, I began spending time with more indigenous people <clears throat> in South America, Central America, Australia. And I began to realize that this culture that we're a part of is fucked in so many different ways, excuse my language. And I began to be very receptive to the ancient wisdom of indigenous cultures, especially ones that lived in coherence with natural patterns. How did you move into I've, that space of, of, of being around those communities and, and um, tapping into that knowledge and, and, and just tapping into that presence with them? Just made it happen. Like, like began reading about um, indigenous perspectives or worldviews and then began like manifesting it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Projecting, like, like it making out. it happen, yeah. seeking it out. Yeah. yeah in asking questions and finding experiences and i ended up um spending time with shamans from in, in a few different places in the world and spending time with with mob in in northeast arnhem land and in, mm. in australia like from a tribe that's been around for hundreds of thousands of years and they're still singing and the same songs and how was that the same yeah man that was <clears throat> one of the most profound stretching experiences of my life like to, to be with human beings that um, are so, 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 so different that it's actually, you can only relate to them when you drop out of your personhood and you come into your heart and you just become a being. That's the only way I could relate with these humans. But it was, it was challenging on many fronts because I could see these humans as part of this culture that truly lived in belonging with the earth. And to, to see that, to honor that, to be like, wow, you guys have been going for hundreds of thousands of years and you have, you have a way of living that is not extractive, but is regenerative. And you have a way of living that passes down wisdom and knowledge and helps human beings evolve and become mature elders. And it was such a stark contrast to my experience of being part of this sort of like Western culture where there's a, there seem to be She's a got lack out of hand, elders. Huh? <laughs> out of hand. Yeah. yeah shit's got out of hand and so it was it was actually like in it was exhilarating and terrifying at the same time it was like exhilarating because it's like oh my god there's a template for people are doing it we don't need to like remake the wheel like people are doing it already they've been doing it for hundreds of thousands of years but at the same time it was like terrifying in a kind of like existential way in the sense of like oh my god we are so we've gone so off the rails i think know? the wheel needs to be remade though and the bridge needs to come into being between like what you were mentioning before that these ancient ways and this new language of being that's that's kind of existing at the moment this language of kind of um that western paradigm and i think that bridge is very important and there's like that that work yeah. is significant oh the bridge is important i don't think we need to remake the wheel because the wheel's there and what i'm referring to the wheel is is just yeah. timeless yeah eternal I, get, truth. I get what you mean yeah yeah but bridges yeah that's a different story yeah. we need we need bridge 
bridges are like an archetype of human being that they're, they're like a, a, a modern uh, they're very we need all of our bridges bridges are the ones that can bridge different worlds um of understanding can like can can absorb the wisdom whether it's in deep ecology or anthropology or indigenous like understanding how their ceremonies and being able to bridge it and bring it to a different crowd and help there be a flow of mutual understanding across like through storytelling right? yeah that See? makes that makes sense yeah yeah and so more of that. so you were you were with you were spending time with these guys and it was like this yeah. sounds like a very profound experience and an opening one where you yeah. you had some some deep realizations and some connections and happened these, yeah and these guys these 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 people are you know the, the the biggest difference if you're ever asked to compare and this is hard to like distill down because the differences are just replete but the biggest difference is that um, domesticated urbanized western humanity is living in non-congruence with the earth with nature and this particular mob were living in congruence and with harmony and with a deep awareness of nature they were living as as one with nature they were living in this web of belonging where their the eagle was their relative and the amoeba is mm. their relative and the 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 koala is their ancestor and you know they're, they're actually like in this web of belonging it's not just made up like they actually feel like they're in this web of belonging whereas you've got like which Western makes it real beings. right yeah yeah, it makes it real. Whereas Western human beings are like, they, even this fact that we have a word called nature, what the fuck does nature mean? Like <laughs> everything is nature. <laughs> but we have this word to actually say, I'm going into nature. Yeah, it's like, what, yeah. What is it's like, it, it shows you how even language is, or the English language especially, is like formed in a way that has this Separate. already, yeah, all this separation built into the system of things. And it's like, yeah. we're we're speaking those words and it's like we're we're acting from that kind of a, a place all the time through those through exactly, words man. words are powerful man like I, yeah just speaking i've noticed actually speaking words out loud it's it's like there's something really powerful about that something that that makes it you're bringing your you're, you're speaking something into being that wasn't there before and and like, it's yeah. different from just thinking it it's a different thing i don't know it's it's a strange thing for me it's something i'm just kind of on the fringes of exploring but you're giving voice to something you're creating something yeah so you're, you're creating your reality through language mm. so our reality our western reality is, is is very much created by the way that our verbs and adjectives and and, and things are organized in a way that creates separation an example of this is that there's in australia there's like 200 300 different indigenous languages Oh, I didn't know and in that. Not, in not oh. in, in not one of them is there a word for possession. As in for like, possession, not mine. one. Yeah. Yeah, as in like that's mine. That doesn't yeah. exist there. Yeah. So think about how that would shape consciousness. So I go up to Arnhem Land. I'm hanging out with these with these men, and I'm like, oh, he's he's the guy that's taken me under his wing. I'm going to give him some tobacco. But this concept of mine doesn't exist in the consciousness of this human being that I've gifted this tobacco to. So really, I've just gifted the tobacco to all of them. And that's what actually happens. He disseminates the, amongst his crew because he doesn't have this concept of mine, right? Think about that, how that ripples out, how, how yeah. growing up without this concept of mine. Like, think about that. That changes everything. Yeah. Everything. It changes, like, they, they won't have in them this capacity to possess, to own, to control to dominate, to conquer, to conquest over an over a, a wife or a husband or a piece of land, 
it's not in them without that that word fascinating they also don't have words for time like linear time so really like, yeah fascinating it's like so think about how that shapes our consciousness as well clock time like, yeah six o'clock three o'clock it's like all of a sudden we're putting these markers on what is like fluid and infinite and it's it's and they've got shaping. they've got more seasons as well don't they like don't they have like you know i don't know yeah this is an example like the last leaf falling or something or they have like different ways and, and there's all these different seasons rather than loads yeah. of different seasons about hundreds of different words for rain different types of rain uh, okay yeah like and, and this and you'll see in Inuit languages hundreds of different words for snow, you mm. know, because there's so much more subtleness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so much more awareness. More detail in the how, story. Yeah. Yeah. How could you use that one word to describe so many different like phenomena? Yeah. Yeah. So know? it seems like that's yeah, yeah, that's kind of carried across the whole theme of the conversation. Really, it's just like it has the the richness yeah. or the the details within yeah within life. So just to get back to the story, I I, I came back from Arnhem Land completely transformed, and yeah. I had this this knowing that um, that the most important thing for me and for all life on earth is for human beings to come back into belonging, a true authentic sense of belonging with all life, as opposed to non-belonging, which is existential angst, which is separation, which is aloneness and loneliness, which characterizes the human Western condition to a large degree. And we see it in the stress and the suicide and the statistics of what's going on. So this, belonging it got this this like knowing that belonging is what is what counts belonging gives wholeness right belonging belonging is the is the state of being one with all of life right i began to dedicate myself to evoking that sense of belonging in other human beings and so um this is where i began working in with with nature more um, deeply and wild places and ancestral skills learning fire making fire by friction and shelter building i was just thinking about that last night i really want to start a fire with sticks like i was thinking about it last oh, night yeah. like that would be the nicest feeling imagine doing that wow why would it be such a nice feeling i thought that's a why, good why question. is it nicer than using a lighter that's a great question i don't know it, it feels like i've there's been some there's been it's it's completely natural in the sense of like you said, everything's natural and everything's nature, but in the sense of like you're working kind of with nature, you've got this gift to create the fire with this, these, these um, ingredients, I guess. And there's like this, I guess for me personally, and this is just speaking for me, um, I've had a bit of an issue with starting my fires. Um, I'm very good at getting them roaring um, in a unique way, but it's just very difficult for me to get them going without help. So I think there would be something within me that is like a process that go that I'll go through by learning to start with a fire with a couple of sticks and and there's something about the effort that's put in and then um, this this creation, this working with, um, this this evoking this. It's almost like a, a magical spell that's been created that creates this thing that then you know warms and, and gives back um all these kind of reasons come up for me anyways but i'm sure there's many many more that's yeah. right that's all really beautiful like my we lead these expeditions where men come along and we one of the things that we do is we all make fire with our hands with sticks and bow drill and mm. 
what happens is a it's a it's a very it's a very mystical thing that happens because we're talking about fire like just just for a moment let's just drop into what fire actually is and symbolizes it's like it has the power to give life and to warm up and to nourish and and has the power to take life to kill and destroy it has the power to regenerate soil and forest through responsible burning it has the power to like disseminate and destroy the forest as well there's something godlike in the power of fire right it's pure death it's destruction and creation that's what fire represents mm. right this is why all animals have a relationship with fire like you'll see it when the fires are going they you'll, you'll see kangaroos and wildlife they, they know what's going on they know what this symbolizes and stands for right and so our ancestors uh, who knows how many thousands of years ago first of all using flint probably to create a spark mm -hmm. and then eventually using more advanced technology of friction hand drill bow drill began to embody this divine power of creating fire in responsible ways and there's a sacredness to that there's a sacredness to it so what happens when when man makes fire in and in a sort of raw in way that uses his body and uses like something primal like tools sticks and things rather than just this convenient button what happens is that the man naturally drops into the sacredness and the ritual of what's going on what's like the profundity of what's going on it's like ah, i am creating fire it's like coming through my through my being th through through my hands and the end result is me birthing an ember and that ember is going to be blown up into flames and those flames contain great power and great spirit and this is what my ancestors have been doing for hundreds of thousands of years and so there's so much going on yeah like, there's a real connection through the ancestral lineage and the and and the the collective unconscious even deep within the kind of you know since the beginning of man really or since the beginning of man making fires so there's this like it's like yeah and and fires are such a miracle aren't they like like I think there's all these little miracles that we just don't even realize of like what the hell is a fire like think about it you know what I mean like yeah yeah and it's you notice how all humans love a fire yeah you know? yeah yeah like and kids kids will be transfixed by fire and what you'll often see is humans with this rare ability to just stare at the fire like you could have the most distracted humans on earth who are but they're just transfixed by this, <laughs> by this fire you know yeah. they call it like cowboy tv you know it's just like it, 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 and it's a it's a really amazing thing and it's because what the way that i've experienced i've, I've inquired why is that why is that yeah it, it's because you know if you if you study a little bit of like gene theory and epigenetics and you and you realize how much memory is stored in our in our dna and it's passed on and passed on and passed on. And you think about the role that fire has played in the lives of our ancestors for warmth, for cooking food, for creating that sense of home and nurturance and safety. And you think about the, the role that it's played in the lives of all our ancestors and how fire is therefore becoming encoded into their genetics, right? 
and then passed on generation after generation after generation. No wonder when someone lights a fire, we're like hooked into it. It's like so deeply wired into our being that it is a good thing, that it's a nourishing thing, that it's a warm thing, or that it's a dangerous thing also. It's a, you know, there's a responsibility required. Mm. That's, my, that's been my experience of, of it. It's like this popping up of ancestral memories. Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm just kind of thinking about this journey that we've just been on and, and the kind of like bringing all of this into like, so you've, you've gone through kind of your beginnings with um, your mother and, 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 and the religion, um, Mormon, you said, and, and then Jehovah's Witness. Jehovah's Witness, sorry. And then moving into um, Japan and corporate world, the corporate world, and then we kind of visited this new, this new, this rebirthing of Jiro and this this yeah. new space and time with the elders, and and that that kind of the resonance of that of that time, that a profound effect, and then now it seems like yeah, this is radiating outwards and sharing kind of mm. yeah it's a beautiful story man is it like what what so what's going on if we bring it right to this like what's going on now in mm. the in the here and now with like um in in these days and and um yeah like what what are you up to and stuff because because it seems like i'm getting a real liberated feeling from you like a freedom yeah. is is emanating out from your being which is <laughs> it's refreshing dude yeah I'm, I'm i'm very devoted to freedom um so much so that four months ago I made the choice to end the marriage that I was in and, and uh, because I saw how um, not that marriage compromises freedom, just that this particular marriage compromised my freedom. Um, so I ended that. So yeah, there is a, there is a freedom that I'm, that I'm exploring in all dimensions, but yeah, there's a great freedom in my work as well. Essentially I just do what feels is my truth and what, what is my calling and my purpose and my mission. And it's, it's a very non, I, I take a very non-strategic approach to my work. Um, I simply just like give it the way that it works now is that I, I support about 40 humans across the world through, through mentoring. Um, so I'm very passionate about mentoring, which is different from coaching. And, um, it's a softer, more dialogue based approach of, hmm. of holding up mirrors and, and, creating a container in which truth can emerge. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So I, I'm in a mentoring process with a bunch of humans from across the world. I run a, a men's program. Um, it's a launch pad for spiritual growth and, and also um, business success that's um, regenerative and purpose-driven. That's called Shambhala Warrior. So I, uh, some of my time is allocated towards that. I also lead these vision quests and expeditions into the wilderness. I work with some of the plant medicines um, and I spend vast amounts of time in nature myself, surfing, playing guitar, taking myself on my own journeys. Hmm. Um, hmm. And, so, and, I'm, and in the background, me and a colleague are preparing to launch this new business, this new offering called the Brotherhood of Man. Tell me about that. Yeah, so it's going to be a platform for, for modern day men's work. Basically, men have gathered together um forever <laughs> hunting parties taking down wool woolly mammoths whatever whatever but in our culture brotherhood has kind of been reduced to like sports teams and 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 getting together on a friday night to sink a few beers um and there's a 
element is profane. That there's not much sacredness imbued in it. Um, and at the same time, we seem to be living through a crisis where a disproportionate amount of men are killing themselves and there's shocking statistics on stress and suicide. And basically it's confusing. Like, how do I be a man? Like, what is it to be a man? Um, so I'm passionate about um, doing something about that and helping men um, experience what it is to be a man, not through any concept, but through a, a natural emergence of their, of their essence. So Brotherhood of Man is going to be a business that's going to have a, you know, experiences and mentoring programs, but also a podcast that's going to be launching in the next month or so. Exciting um, times. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. Super exciting there's times. Anything I could do to support that besides sharing this conversation and, and getting the message out for you, let me know, dude, because I'd love to help you kind of get that blasted off. I know it's, it's a, it's a, it sounds like a beautiful thing and exciting times. It is. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah, I, it's probably a good place to kind of tie things off. I feel like we've had a really engaging conversation and I really think that the, you know, again, I want to share my appreciation with you and I think the people listening, like there's plenty in here to kind of work with and, and, um, you know, like we said earlier about this idea of truth being into being able to kind of sit into the space in our lives where it's needed most at, at wherever, wherever, wherever we are, you know, and I think there's been a lot of truth shared in this in this conversation. And again, like, I just want to really thank you for that. It's a pleasure. Mm. Thank you for uh, the questions and the inquiries. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Today Dreamer podcast. Hopefully, you've found something within it that will allow you to deepen your practice of presence and cultivate that within your own life. As always, if you'd like more information on the guest or their work, please head over to the Today Dreamer website, todaydreamer.com, or check out the show notes or the description section wherever you're engaging with this, and there'll be some links to their wonderful and inspiring work there. If you'd like to deepen your connection with me, with the show, by showing your support and helping me keep this this project, this intention alive, then please consider joining the Today Dreamer tribe by heading over to patreon.com forward slash Today Dreamer, where you can pledge a small amount every month. And in return, you'll get certain perks depending on the amount you pledge, including exclusive podcast episodes, videos, video chats with me or group hangouts in supportive space where we can really look at meaningful action and support one another in this process of being, doing, and dreaming. Thank you so much. Uh, that's all from me, and I will catch you in the next episode. In the meantime, be well.